are listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this April the 7th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what we have been doing on Wednesdays is examining the seven churches in Revelation to which Jesus Christ gives a message. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Today we're going to be looking the message to the church in Philadelphia. So let me read that, beginning with chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This being church number six of the seven churches to which Jesus sends a message, we always like to try and figure out which of the seven churches is closest to the congregations which we were pastoring at the time. And I was in a church for 28 years in University City, and I felt that this church of Philadelphia was closest to the church that I had. And we'll take a look at that. Why? First of all, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, we've spoken quite a bit about this in past sessions. The angel either is referring to the pastor, the messenger of God, uh, perhaps there is a guardian angel over each congregation. But at any rate, Jesus is writing to that individual. How do we know it's Jesus? Verse 7 continues. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens. Well, that's referring to Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Scripture interprets Scripture. In fact, you can take a look in the immediate context of Revelation, the whole New Testament, 
or many of these ideas in Revelation are found in the Old Testament. But the words of the Holy One, well, the true one who has the key of David, this is explained in Revelation chapter 1. First of all, Jesus is called the true witness to the human race. And listen to verse 22. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. This actually is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. All the way back there, Jesus was referred to the individual who will have the house of the key of David. Now, what does that mean? Jesus speaks about that on the night of the resurrection when he meets with his apostles. Remember the closed room and he just appears? They are fearful because they had betrayed him, they had left him, they had denied him, and now they heard he had risen from the dead. I too would be fearful. But Jesus comes in and dismisses their fear with his first words. And what are those words? Peace be with you. And then he also says, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you are retaining, they will be retained. This is what's referred to as the office of the keys the keys that open up heaven to individuals through faith in Jesus Christ. It is an office that is held by the church. And what does it mean that whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted? Well, prior to the Lord's Supper, we will have a confession of our sins. I, a poor, miserable sinner, deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, but I am heartily sorry for them. And then the pastor gives the absolution. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. See, that's taking the keys and opening heaven. You actually enter the kingdom of heaven, not on judgment day, but on the day that you come to faith, either through hearing the word of God or through baptism. The apostle Paul speaks also of open doors. He says in 1 Corinthians 69 that he has a door open opened for him by the Lord. And in Colossians 4.3, he says, the open door is for the word. In other words, the word makes a big difference. And the word is preached in the streets. Yesterday, we were talking about the writer to the hymn, and he was a preacher in Paris 
For two years, he preached every day. And one of his tasks was preaching to wayward people, such as prostitutes. And many of them came to faith, left that vocation, and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. This pastor did not have any magical words. He simply spoke the gospel. Now, it's this next verse that I felt was so important. I used it as the motto of the church in University City. Verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, what is that talking about? I believe that you have kept my word is what we refer to as orthodoxy. In other words, we speak only what the word reveals. We don't speak anything else because you can't check it then with the scripture. This congregation, like all congregations, have little power on their own. In fact, as Jesus says in Mark to the rich man and to his disciples, it is impossible for anyone to save themselves, but with God, all things are possible. So, Salvation is a gift, not something we earn. We inherit heaven. We do not merit heaven. That's why we have but little power. But it's the next phrase. But you have kept my word, that's orthodoxy, and you have not denied my name. That would be what we refer to as evangelism. When I was at this congregation, I was fortunate enough to have a number of field workers. These are seminarians assigned to the congregation for the time that they are at the seminary, and they are to be trained by the pastor there. I had almost 60 of them over a number of years, and they would therefore often on evenings, about two or three evenings a night, a seminarian would be assigned to two other lay people in the congregation, and they would go out and visit individuals who were interested in hearing about Lutheran theology. And that came about in a number of ways, that we found their names, phoned them, made an appointment, and the group of three would visit their home. And we always had with them a slide projector with wonderful teachings on it. That was called evangelism. And then from there, if they enjoyed that, they were invited to come into an adult instruction class. And a number of them did and became members of the church. That's why I considered St. James, where I was at, to be closest to the church at Philadelphia. They had no special power, but they were orthodox, 
and very evangelistic. Orthodox meant they only wanted a pastor who preached the word of God in its purity. And therefore, in Bible classes, I had about six professors from the seminary that were members at one time or another of the church. It was not at all unusual for someone to ask a question. And I was very pleased to be able to answer it. And if I didn't know the answer, I could turn to one of the professors who had a better knowledge of some parts of the Bible. So this was a motto that we put on all of our stationery. We have but little power, and yet we have kept his word and have not denied his name. The church at Philadelphia. Now, you need to remember, the church at Philadelphia comes the name from two Greek words, phileo and adelphus. Phileo is a word for love, but it's not the love that Jesus talks about in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's agape. That's a love that truly is sacrificial, and you're doing something for someone without any hope of return. You're doing it for them. Phileo is a brotherly love. In other words, somebody may ask you for money because they need it, and you're more tended to give money to a relative, especially a brother, than to a stranger. Philadelphia, therefore, is a city of brotherly love. And like St. Louis is often considered as a gateway to the West, that's why we have the arch, Philadelphia was known as the gateway to the East. Now, it was built south of a volcanic plain in A.D. 17, and that would be when Jesus was around 20 years old. There was a volcano that occurred that leveled 12 cities in Asia and damaged Philadelphia to some degree. Now, Philadelphia had many temples and cultic festival days to idols, and therefore it was tough for the Christians not to be persecuted. So, verse 9 is important. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but they are lying. Behold, I will make them come down and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, one of the best passages to understand what is being said here about people who say they are Jews but are not is Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
You see, already there's this distinction in Galatians 3 between Jews who have faith in Jesus Christ and Jews who don't believe in Jesus Christ, like unbelieving Pharisees. They are not part of the true synagogue of Satan, even though they think they're Jews. And the scriptures, verse 8, foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, both Jew and Gentile. Verse 9, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Now, why were some of the Jews not considered of faith? Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law, that means to be saved by doing works, are under a curse because it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now, verse 11, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Instead, it says, the one who does them shall live by them. So what was the purpose of Jesus Christ? Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And how did he do that? By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So that's what John was talking about by inspiration in the book of Revelation, that there are those who say they're in the synagogue of the Jews, but they're really in the synagogue of Satan. Because when Jesus came on the scene, they decided to put him to death. Verse 10 of the Revelation passage 3. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Okay, this is a similar outline to the other churches. First, Jesus introduces himself. Then he says, well, here's what you're doing wrong. You have but little power. But then here is what you are doing right. And then he gives a promise. And here's the promise. He will keep us from the hour of trial. What's he talking about? Once more, Scripture interprets Scripture. We go back to, say, Mark 13. Jesus says, In those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be, 
And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And so that's what Revelation is talking about, that the Lord is going to keep us from that hour of trial because we have kept his word. That, that's also a part of Matthew chapter 24. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, when is that going to happen? It could happen at any time. In fact, there's no time since Jesus has ascended into heaven that that was not in place. Today, look at how many people have become nuns, N-O-N-E-S, where they no longer belong to a Christian denomination. They will have nothing to do with the church as it is espoused in Holy Scripture. Is, is that a time where Jesus could come back? Don't be surprised if he comes back tomorrow or today or a thousand years from now. We have no idea. But he does say in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And what's a crown? Well, that's explained in the Bible that Jesus won a crown for us. It's his crown that he gives to you when you trust him with all your heart. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to a, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. See, that's what the disciples experienced on that first night of Easter, that Jesus came to them. And with the words, peace be with you, they were restored in their minds to Jesus, not being a judge who is coming after them, but a savior who is leading them to heaven. Verse 12, another promise. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. So under the law, the name of Jesus often is that of judge. Under the gospel, his name is Savior. That is the name we received at baptism. Namely, we are now a Christian, and Jesus is our brother. But what's this about the pillar in the temple? 
once more, take a look at Scripture, 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, that means if I'm coming back, not when you expect it, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, if you've seen any examples of the temple, it's built on pillars. And Revelation, those last chapters, talk about the city of Jerusalem, where the foundation is the apostle and the prophets, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ, and we are part of the building of the Holy Christian Church. That's the household of God, which we became a member of, not on Judgment Day when we die, and after that, but when we were baptized. And this letter ends like all the rest. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Believe what is being said. I'm Tom Baker. You've been listening to Law and Gospel. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're not really getting into politics so much, but is it appropriate that a member of the clergy uh, becomes a part of Congress, either the House or the Senate? And we're going to give an example of what could happen. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.